Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone. To breaking it down, Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Dee Wallace, uh, just a wonderful, legendary actress, and everyone knows her from Cujo and E.T. and The Howling and so much more. I, she's also the mother of a very talented actress I've had on the show several times, and and she writes and she uh, and she directs uh, Gabrielle Stone, uh, who's absolutely terrific. A very talented family. Uh, Nick's is her latest uh d wallace's latest and she is uh she won the best actress at the downtown la film festival which is very prestigious and uh and listen so much more to come with this it was just released yesterday and you can see it on all major platforms d wallace how are you i'm pretty fabulous how are you Doing good, and uh, it, it sounds like you got some noisy dogs there. You, uh, you, I just said, uh, and you yelled at them, or, or, or you, uh, or, or yelled and scared them. And I said, as long as one of them's not Cujo, you don't have to worry. You don't have a vicious dog over there, do you? No, no, no. They're my babies. They're my little girls. Yeah. No, and you know the dogs in Cujo, guys, so sweet. There were thirteen dogs that played Cujo, all trained to go after toys. We had to tie their tails down with fish wire so you couldn't see them <laughs> wagging, because it was all a big game for them. So you know. So they weren't vicious. The magic either. of movies here. Yeah. So give us a little overview of Nick's, and it's uh, it's it's pretty heavy. From what I'm reading, it's uh, it's a psychological uh, horror film, and it's uh, it's based on some old time folklore. Uh, give us a little rundown, if you don't mind. Well, it's probably the craziest, most out there character that I have played since the Frighteners. So I was really excited when I got this script. Um, And it brings both my worlds together. Uh, You know, I spend half my life doing horror films and the other half healing people from their fear. So um, I love this film because it explains and takes time to create um, these relationships within this family and you understand why where the horror comes from and why they've created this horror why they've attracted this to them so it was just i read the part i put down the script i called anthony our director and he said i gotta i gotta do this character i gotta do this character so um so i did yeah, well, I, we're we're fortunate you did. I can't wait to check it out. I'm checking it out tomorrow night, and uh, we're gonna watch it. Great. Yeah. And so we're, yeah, it's a great Halloween picture, guys. Yeah, perfect timing too. Uh, you know, like I said, it's a psychological 
thriller. This is right up your alley. Uh, you also do quite a bit of life coaching, and everything I hear about you on that end is just terrific, and people rave about you. You know, listen, as an actress, uh, we all know that, but uh, give us a little something on, on your other, uh, the other side of your life that we don't normally see. Well, the other side of my life is um, I teach conscious creating, and I teach the, a lot about energy. Uh, my work is kind of a combination between spirituality and brain science, and um, everything's energy. We learned that in fifth grade, but energy needs direction in order to manifest into physical form. So... Most all of us direct energy through our thoughts, our feelings, and our belief systems. But most of us are doing it unconsciously. And the more conscious you become about what's running you, which usually started between conception and eight years old, um, once you become conscious of what's running you, then you can redirect it and your life really takes off and changes. You know, you mentioned that we learn uh, that everything is uh, is energy in fifth grade, but what you just said there is a lot heavier than all of that. Uh, how soon in life, and was it part of your your acting process, how soon in life did you start understanding what you just said there? Well, you know, I'm a channel. I Most of the characters I play, I channel. Um and I used to channel when I was a little girl, but I didn't do it consciously until um, my husband died, and I dropped to my knees, and I yelled, I don't want to be pissed off, and I don't want to be a victim. I want a way we can heal ourselves. So that's what the good book calls Ask and He Received. So I asked and within seconds, I got my first message, which was use the light within you to heal yourself. And I've been learning what that means for the last 40 years, doing private sessions and teaching the art of um, directing your own energy to get the life you want. That's what my whole new newest book, Born, Giving Birth to a New You covers the formula um, that needs to be in place for creating anything in your life. You, We've mentioned it uh, in the outset, uh, Nick's, and how this kind of perfectly fits what you're doing. Uh, look, we, we got a, uh, we got about a half a year ahead of us before we get into the new, new year. How solid is your schedule or how fluid is your schedule and uh and you know we still you know we're still fighting off the uh the the remainder of the pandemic and everything else but how rock solid do you like your schedule nowadays um i can just tell you i i just prayed to get through the the month of september <laughs> uh while maintaining my balance and my objectivity i have flown uh, and traveled every weekend in the last month and a half to do personal appearances, to be keynote speakers, to film projects. Right now I have seven films and two TV shows um, coming out. 
and I, I just, you know, am doing everything I, I love to do on both sides of, of my career. Well, listen, I want to congratulate you uh, once again on everything that you've, uh, that you've done and everything that's ahead of you and, and where you are as a person and how you're helping others get there as well. Uh, before we let you go, let us know anything that we should know that uh, that we haven't touched on here. And, and please leave us with a social media site or a website where we can follow along with you and your life coaching as well. Well, my website is IamDWallace.com. My Instagram is at TheDWallace. And... Um, if I if I could leave everybody with the biggest insight of creating your life, it's to love who you are. Who do we want to give everything to? The people we love, and we're usually not even on the list. So get up every day and go, today I am choosing to love myself, and what can I do to love myself even more today? And you'll see your life start to change. T. Wallace, thank you very much for being here. Thank you, darling. Have a great one. T. Wallace, everyone, has been our very special guest. She just uh, recently won the Best Actress Award at the Downtown L.A. Film Festival for this performance in Nick's. And uh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to see it tomorrow and watch it tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I, I, I always know what kind of performance we're going to get from D, a lot of a lot of range, obviously, but uh, this is this is just something I'm dying to see her in psychological horror film. Nix, it's uh, inspired by a Germanic, uh, Germanic, how do you say that? German folk to- uh, folklore uh, tale, and uh, the story of Nix follows. I'm just reading here. Follows a tragedy at a mysterious lake, and its frightening consequences as a shattered family unravels the truth. Uh, Anthony C. Ferrante uh, is the uh, is the director. When she mentioned Anthony before, that's the guy who did Sharknado in the Sharknado films. And uh, and I want to lead with that. I think you know people you know kind of think of Sharknado as as fun and and you know kind of uh, uh, campy or whatever. So I, I I don't think this is that. I think this is, and I'm not putting down Sharknado. I've never seen Sharknado's uh, films, you know, so I'm not certainly not putting that down. But uh, this this is a different uh, creature, um, Nick's, and when I say that, a different type of film, and a little more of a psych, a lot more of a psych, uh, psychological horror film. And uh, D. Wallace, uh, I mentioned Gabrielle Stone, who's uh, who's terrific, wonderful actress writer, director. We've had her on the show uh, a couple of times and Dion a bunch of times. Of course, uh, Dee from uh, E.T., Cujo, The Howling. She's, um, you know, she's worked with, uh, you know, Spielberg and uh, all of these, uh, you know, all of these uh, big time folks. Big, big career. And, uh, you know, seven films, a couple TV shows. Her book, She's constantly working. Not bad. And uh, life coach to boot. Frank McKay signing off. Lee D. Wallace. T. Wallace has been our very special guest. And Nix is her latest. N-I-X. Check it out. I'll be checking it out tomorrow. Check it out. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on Breaking Tech.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. Our very special guest today is a best-selling author, an actor, an activist, uh, just a very super talented man. And uh, what we're talking about here is the premiere of the great show, The Good Doctor. It is uh, the the ABC hit medical drama, and it is premiering tonight, uh, Monday, uh, September 23rd, and I'm thrilled to have Hill Harper with us. Hill, how are you? I'm great, Frank. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, we're, we're all so excited for the season three premiere of The Good Doctor, and and I uh, hope folks are watch it tonight. If you can't, if you don't stay up that late, because a lot of people tell me they get up too early to work, DVR it and watch it. It's worth it. It's just going to be an amazing season. So I'm so happy, uh, so happy about the show. Well, you've got to be blown away by the first two seasons. Uh, I mean, you're talking about rave reviews everywhere you uh, everywhere you go. Uh, the fans love it. The critics love it. You're just you're getting uh, so many accolades, and for good reason. It's a smart show. It's a smart show. It brings a lot to the table. It is. It, it is. You know, it was created and written by uh, the man who wrote the show House, and so folks out there know how good that show is and how well written and. And what what I love about it is that over the summer, what's amazing, it was it was just named the number one drama in the world. So internationally, it's doing phenomenally as well. And and I think that the reason that is is because autism touches us everywhere. And if those folks who are listening that don't know the show are, know it's about a young surgeon named Dr. Sean Murphy who has autism, who's trying to be a top surgeon in the world and. And it's all about overcoming differences and obstacles and the way people see things differently. And, um, and, and, and so the show is so well written and so well acted. You know, the, you know, Freddie Highmore, who plays Sean Murphy, I'm amazed every day on set with him. He's so talented. And, and this season three goes into more of a personal life and personal stuff that's very interesting, very pro. But if my character, who plays the president of the hospital, has, has to deal with some problems and some issues that come up, um, repercussions for some decisions he's made, and and so it's a lot of wonderful storylines, and they can they all connect, and that's what makes it so smart. Yeah, it, again, a, a smart show, but a good show, and I think you know one of the one of the things is we've seen more cases of autism. We certainly have it in our family, and it's something close to yeah. our our hearts. And I can't imagine there's a single listener out there on any of our stations that uh, that's not touched by autism. And this is a show. That's not, uh, you know, the the, the autistic uh, the gentleman is not a victim. He's he's saving people. He's uh, he's striving to be the best in the world. It's it's a great show. It is everyone. If you haven't been watching The Good Doctor, you're missing out. And it is smart and it is good. And it premieres tonight. Uh, season three premieres tonight. Hill Harper, uh, one of the stars of that show. You also know his work from CSI New York, uh, New York, and uh, his work on on CNN. 
CNN and Headline News and uh, best-selling author, really a, a renaissance man here at Hill Harbor. Thrilled to have him. Uh, do you have uh, autism in your family? Yeah, you know, I, yes. I don't think there's any family that does it, you know, uh, that I know of. And, and, and I'll tell you, Frank, I get on my social media, whether it's Instagram um, or Twitter, people DM me and they talk about, hey, uh, either they're dealing with issues around autism themselves. And they say, hey, this, this show makes people understand the way I think a little better. Or they say, hey, I'm able to watch this with this person and, and, and we are able to connect over it. You know, uh, it's, a, it's about seeing the world differently, ultimately, and saying, no, just because you're wired a little different doesn't make you wrong or bad. It just means you see the world differently and you process information in a different way. Now, um, and so certainly in my, in my family, there are folks who fall into that category. And, 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 and my whole thing has always been, um, I want to celebrate difference, not denigrate it, not make them feel bad about it, and, and also figure out ways that I can can help them in their journey, reach their goals, and that's ultimately what what the show's about. And it's it's also, you know, I'll be honest. You watch the show, you, it opens your heart up. You know, you get a little tear oftentimes because of the stories that are being told. It's a, and so that's why I love about it. It's a really wonderful original show that the in, it's almost like the anti-hero. You know, most of the shows you see on TV. It's the good-looking lead guy who's doing this and doing that. And, and you know, um, our show is not about six-packs and abs. It's about, you know, your mind and your heart. It's an important show. And, I, you know, I don't say that about many uh, many dramas or, or anything, you know, any, much TV. But this is an important show. And, again, you know, we're talking about The Good Doctor. And it's it's a must. If if you look at this man who was speaking to Hill Harper's resume, it's it's very very impressive. And you look at the the roles that he's taken, uh, it, just a tremendous career that he's putting together. But I have to believe Hill that when you saw the outline for this uh, this TV show, that immediately you said, "Wow, this is this is something." And some of the other things that that you've done or that any of your colleagues have done, I'm sure you're like, oh, "I don't know if this is going to work." This looks like it's a winner right outside the box. Was that the case? I wish it was, man. I wish I could sit on here and tell you I knew along. No, I mean, there was another show that my agents and I were talking about, you know, because we didn't think, to be honest, that a network would pick this show up because we were like, you know, you know, like I said, most of the shows that get picked up, they're about, you know, the strapping guy who's doing this and doing that. And, and this show was the opposite of that. So I, I, I was like, I love the show. The script's amazing. The writing is incredible. But do we think it's going to actually make it onto the air? And my agents and I were like, mm, you know, it, it, it's a it's, it's feel good and it's great. But, you know, they're going to go with something else. And thank God, you know, some of the, I say sometimes rejection is God's protection because there was this other show that my agents wanted me to do that we went down to the line for and they ended up choosing somebody else. And, and what was so fortunate for me is that um, the good doctor, my role was still available um, when, and, and, you know, this, all this stuff happens during what they call pilot season, which a lot of people wouldn't know this, but it happens during pilot season where you're, you're choosing what shows to try to jump, you know, new shows to do. And so all these decisions are being made at once at the same time. And so um, got so fortunate to end up on The Good Doctor because I'm so glad ABC picked it up and so proud to, to be on the show. And it, we got named the number one show in the world, which is just incredible 
incredible uh, achievement, which for a show like this, it's pretty amazing. Look, we got we got about 30 seconds left with Hill Harper. He's on the run, as you can imagine. Premiere tonight of The Good Doctor. It's, uh, it's as good as they get, and it's as good as advertised. And uh, Hill Harper, once again, has put together a wonderful career. Frank McKay here with the star of The Good Doctor. Uh, Hill, if you, uh, if you can, give us a website or a social media site where people can kind of follow along with what you're doing because you got quite a bit going on. Yeah. Yeah, um, just go to at Hill Harper, H-I-L-L-H-A-R-P-E-R, my name on Instagram and Twitter, and, and, and leave a comment. You know, I read all the comments that come onto my page and, and, and love to interact with the audience and talk, let's talk about The Good Doctor. I'll, I'll be Twitter chatting um, live tonight during the premiere so people can do that but also my instagram they can leave leave comments and just follow along and talk about the season um i couldn't be more excited and, and definitely want to stay engaged with everybody well congratulations on all the success and thank you very much for being here thanks so much frank appreciate it Hill Harper, everyone, uh, the best-selling author, the actor, the activist, uh, The Good Doctor is our very special uh, guest. The star of The Good Doctor is our very special guest, and you can watch it tonight. The premiere is tonight, and it is the premiere of season three on ABC. It's a must-watch, The Good Doctor. Hill Harper has been our very special guest. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with uh, someone who's uh, tremendous, talented uh, sports writer and sports uh, co- uh, correspondent, um, senior writer for ESPN. And he is he's absolutely terrific. I could read anything. He writes his latest is more about Ricky, the life and legend of an American original. And, and that Ricky that he's talking about, Ricky Henderson, uh, maybe the greatest leadoff man of all time. I, I watched his whole career develop, and it's going to be interesting to see what, um, uh, you know, what, uh, what unfolds in this. I've already ordered mine. Please order yours. Uh, the, the work he did on, on Hank Aaron, on Henry Aaron, is just absolutely terrific. And he's got uh, he's got eight or nine books. I've got a bunch of them. He is wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Uh, Howard, Brian, how are you? I am good. How are you? Doing well. And uh, if you can, give us an overview of of Ricky the man and uh, somebody we don't know an awful lot about, and and maybe for a bunch of different reasons. But uh, can you give us an overview on reasons, what you're yes. thinking uh, after having released the book? Well, absolutely, and thank you for having me. I think one of the reasons why I wanted to do the book in the first place was for this very reason, because I, when, when you talk about the best players of all time, you may roll through 5, 10, 15, 20 names and maybe never mention Ricky's name. And that told me right there that this was somebody who deserved attention. I think the other thing that made me want to do this book was I think that we spend so much time because Ricky was such a great character and people tell so many Ricky Henderson stories. It's real. It's a story of time. It's a story about somebody who really was one of the most disliked players in baseball early in the first part of his career. And then by the end of his career was this combination of 
Satchel Paige and Yogi Berra, where everybody told Ricky stories and they wanted to celebrate him and they missed him. And he's this wonderful character who literally tried to play forever. I remember him, I said to Ricky, you know, Ricky, you actually never formally retired. This, the phone stopped ringing in 2003. And he says, yeah, I still think I can help a team. And I was like, you're 61 years old. <laughs> But that's who Ricky was, supremely confident in his abilities, unbelievable game changer, very private person at first, but also but an electric talent. And people talk about Ricky as a, you know, what is Ricky's legacy? And I always say, I'm not sure he has a legacy because he was so unique. He's a party of one. And what I wanted to do in this book was really talk about the time period, that this was a, this was a time period where you had the athlete begin to explore uh, the player, you know, the type of player that we see today, that this was the beginning of the free agent era where the money became enormous and the players were a little bit more uh, brash and the fans were a little bit more distant from them. But at the same time, you couldn't keep your eyes off of them because they were so good. And at the end of the day, for everything else we talk about, Ricky Henderson absolutely obliterated the record book. And his, whether we're talking about his time in Oakland, his time with the Yankees, or all the other teams afterwards, he was a man who was really ahead of his time. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a Yankee fan, and I'm a New Yorker. Um, if he would have won a championship... Well, then you absolutely know. <laughs> then, then, then you remember, depending on if you're of a certain generation, you remember the 1980s. Yeah. And yeah. The, the 1980s were the... You've got Billy Martin telling Ricky that if you're going to be a superstar, the only way to be a superstar is to do it in New York. So Billy gets Ricky to come to New York. George Steinbrenner didn't even really want Ricky. didn't think it was worth the asking price. But you've got Ricky. You've got Donnie Mattingly. You've got Don Baylor. You've got Dave Winfield. And they didn't win. But the Mets won. And so that increases the pressure. And what ends up happening to Ricky? He puts up these great numbers in New York. The team doesn't win. And now Ricky is saddled with this reputation of being one of those guys. One of those guys who puts up big numbers but didn't win. Because if you can't win a championship in New York, you're not a true Yankee. Yeah, but he won the two. Correct me if I'm wrong. He won in '93 with the the Blue Jays, and of course with the uh, with the A's his second time around with the A's. So he was he's a two time world right. champion. So he doesn't have that monkey on his back. He doesn't have that. Uh, but, he like in, yeah, but he or, did in he did in New York. Say it again. Yeah, I said, but he did in New York, and that was one of the things that was really important in this in, in this book for me was. You go to New York to be a champion. You leave with people thinking you're not a champion. And this is what motivates Ricky in 1989, when he has one of the great postseasons of all time, to prove to the world and to prove to New York that he was a winning ball player. And then he wins it again in 1993, and that narrative goes away. But while he was with the Yankees, he came to New York to be the superstar player, just like Reggie. And it didn't turn out that way, and then he had a lot to prove. One of the things I always thought was a misnomer, and I don't know how in a million years he could have gotten this, but uh, often people refer to Ricky Henderson as being lazy. I, I've never seen an ounce of fat yeah. on the guy. I mean, he uh, he looked like he was a workout machine. 7 percent body fat if you're scoring at home. Yeah. 
Well, was it right? So, I, I mean, think about it. Uh, he, there's not a lazy bone right in his body as far as his his art, his uh, his craft. I mean, he worked out seemingly con- uh, constantly. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, but you know where that comes from, Frank? It comes from New York. It comes from the fact that in 1987, he had a hamstring injury, came back too fast from injury, and George Steinbrenner and the New York media and company didn't believe him. They thought he was faking his injury. In fact, George came up with an entirely new word for Ricky. He said Ricky was shaking it, uh, stealing money, essentially, that you're you're capable of playing, you're able to play, you're choosing not to play. And that label stuck with Ricky for the first half of his career. And then the second half of his career, where it also came from, wasn't that Ricky was lazy, it was that Ricky was vindictive, that Ricky, if Ricky didn't get the money he thought he should have gotten as a player, then Ricky might withhold his services. And there's these constant battles with rival players, with Jose Canseco and who was making more money. And that's one of the points of the book that I really wanted to focus on, which was the, the business of it, how the business changed. And ultimately, Ricky had a lot of fences to men, but the beauty of these, of this story arc is that he did And that now people look at him very, very differently than they did back then. And I sort of like the fact that these stories sort of tie together because they don't, they don't always tie up cleanly. Now we look at him and we celebrate him for the great player that he, that he, that he was. And as Ricky said, to your point, how are you going to steal 1,400 bases if you're lazy, if you don't want to be out there? Uh, Howard, I, I need more time with you, that's for sure, but I know a lot of people waiting to talk to you. Howard, Brian, congratulations on an amazing career yourself. Uh, not a lazy bone in your body either. A lot of work and, and a lot of talent there combined. Can you give us a website or a social media site where we can follow along with what you're doing? Yeah, you can reach me at uh, my website is howardbryantbooks.com, and I am on Twitter at hbryant42. Howard, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Howard Bryan, everyone. Uh, He is a terrific writer, and he's the uh, senior, let's see, the senior writer. Let me get a title on him for ESPN, uh, senior sports journalist, um, Howard Bryan. And and again, his his book on Aaron is terrific. Uh, He gets a lot into... That era that, uh, you know, he uh, obviously grew up somewhere around the 80s. I could tell from, uh, you know, I guess his age or whatever, uh, you know, you could tell from his picture, um, but also his subjects. I mean, Ricky Henderson is going to be fascinating to to somebody who watched him. And, uh, you know, Hank Aaron, you know, obviously uh, well before that, played in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And, uh, you know, as, uh, as far as... Um, uh, Howard goes, uh, you know, he wrote about uh, juice in the game, drugs, power, and the fight for the soul of Major League Baseball. That was a, you know, it was a big book of his. And, uh, you know, hey, look, he's uh, he's someone who, who knows his baseball. I've got a couple of baseball books out, uh, so I kind of follow what these different... Uh, actually, I just completed, along with my brother, some unfinished work of my late father, uh, who was a baseball author, Joseph McKay, and you know he he wrote his first book, and we, you know, my brother and I, got it published through McFarland, um, 
you know, back in the early 2000s, and then he died in 2005, and then he had a whole bunch of things uh, scribbled on napkins and diner uh, mats and things like that, and uh, my brother and I kind of combined those two things, and, uh, you know, these uh, these uh, notes, tons and tons of notes he had, and posthumously, we, uh, we completed a couple of books for my father. The research was his, and, you know, he was, uh, he was a fanatic when it came to baseball. And we, you know, my brother and I know our baseball, but nothing like him. Every once in a while, somebody will, uh, somebody that got one of the books will come up and try to stump me on, on some, uh, <laughs> some uh, some trivia from the 1800s in baseball, and I said, "Listen, the the guy who knows that uh, is uh, is is no longer here. You know, if he was here, he'd be able to answer that. I'm sure we can't. You know, but uh, again, we completed that. So, two of my eight books are are on baseball, but uh, you know, that's uh, cheating a little bit. Really, the work uh, was that of my uh, father's. My brother and I completed it. Guy like Howard Bryant is uh, is a true baseball writer, and I mean, he is really heavily into this as a craft. We dabble. Uh, or we just dabbled uh, because it had baseball fans, but um, the life and legend of an American uh, original, Ricky, and the author is Howard Bryant. And again, uh, pick up the book if you're if you're into baseball. Uh, this is a guy who knows how to write about baseball. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. In many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island is definitely the place for you. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, very talented filmmaker and and uh, so many uh, so many projects. Uh, I'd, I'd uh, lose all my time here just talking about her past projects, but uh, what an amazing uh, life and career uh, Nanette Bernstein has had. And uh, Killer Sally is her latest, and it's a new docu-series on, on the story of bodybuilding's most notorious crime, uh, horrendous situation going back to 1995, and I think it was Valentine's Day, and it was... Uh, uh, you know, the story of Ray McNeil, uh, National Bodybuilding Chair. Anyway, I'm going to let her tell the story. Nanette, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, well, listen, thrilled to have you. But what a what a story. And it's a story that should not uh, be untold. And I'm so glad that someone of your status is doing this because this, this could easily get swept under the rug. Uh, but it's a fascinating story. Give us a lowdown on it. Yeah, I mean, it is one of bodybuilding's most notorious crimes. Um, it's about a woman, Sally McNeil, who is an amateur bodybuilder, who was married to Ray McNeil, a professional bodybuilder who was Mr. North America at the time. Um, and they had an abusive relationship. Um, he, 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 she claims that he was domestically abusing her and her children. And on Valentine's Day, he allegedly was choking her, and she got away from his grasp, got a gun, and fatally shot him twice. Um, so the series takes you on this journey and what happened afterwards and the investigation and the trial, and it's really a look at domestic violence, gender roles, and uh, the world of bodybuilding. Do you know, it's not like this is from 1955 or even 1975. It's 1995. But so much has changed 
as uh, as far as the the the, uh, the tolerance level, which it should be at zero, of uh, of of uh, violence against women, but uh, still, it was a different time. Am I am I correct in saying 1995 is not equal to where we are now? Well, yes and no. Unfortunately, that's not entirely true. I mean, there's still so many cases of women that are being uh, that are domestically abused and do defend themselves and kill their husbands and often they go to jail because it can be very hard to prove self-defense um an imminent threat um so unfortunately not and you know it's crazy because one out of every three women globally currently are victims of sexual or physical violence by an intimate partner which is a you know that's a third of the women's population um and and yet you know, it's. I think we really need to revisit how our our social and judicial system handle this. Uh, it's a very grave issue. Um, but this is a complicated story because you know Sally is not the perfect victim, and one of the things when you're watching it is, you know, you're definitely taken on a journey as I was as a filmmaker of, you know, believing in her innocence and then thinking, well, maybe the prosecution is right. The prosecution argued that it was premeditated murder um, based on the forensics, based on some silly things like, oh, she's too strong to be a victim, which is absurd, but based on some some real forensics and based on her own pattern of violence. And so you you kind of go back and forth uh, as to whether or not it really was self-defense or if it was premeditated. Well, it's kind of an interesting uh, situation uh, for you to be in as a, uh, you know, as an artist or as a storyteller, as a as a filmmaker, um, obviously, uh, you you want to make sure that you. And again, I'm uh, I, I'm certainly not putting words in your mouth. Correct me as you did before uh, when I when I'm wrong. But I, you know, you you uh, obviously there, there's a real issue behind here. You know, the the violence against women and and how it's treated. But at the same time, you want to give a, a a straight story. You want to give a uh, an accurate story of of what it is, and the fact that you said Sally wasn't the perfect victim, I think says a lot about what you had to go through. Uh, how much different was the anticipation of what this was going to be, and and the end result? Definitely different. I mean, I I came in very neutral, and um, I learned so much along the way, uh, and and definitely changed my mind many times. Um, uh, you know, I, I came away with it with my own opinion in the end, and then I think the audience will, will come to their own conclusions, which, who knows, could be different than mine. Um, but I believe in her innocence. I believe she was defending herself. Uh, but there's, you know, very compelling evidence that the prosecution brings up. Um, so I think absolutely you're right. There's a huge responsibility to tell the story the way it is. I mean, look, a lot of these stories are not black and white. You know, they're gray. And, and I think, you know, that's where the most um, there can be the most telling in a way, because, you know, in, in domestic violence, a lot of times women are not perfect. You know, they come from a history of abuse. They might have a propensity for anger themselves. And, you know, we want victims to be perfect. And when they're not, you know, we get angry at them. And, and, and that's part of the problem. You know, Nanette, you got to forgive my ignorance on this, but uh, uh, is Sally still with us? Sally is still with us. Yes, she what, is. Uh, what was her reaction to the film? Uh, Sally liked it a lot, actually. We we showed it to her way before we finished uh, Locked Picture because, you know, the other 
as objective as I need to be, and I do, I'm also aware that this is somebody's life that I'm depicting that is still with us. And, and there are real world consequences to how she is portrayed. Um, and so I wanted to, you know, show it to her and hear her out. Um, and, and she fortunately was, was, was really happy with it. Yeah, uh, she felt that it was, she was very honest. Uh, I mean, it's just, she was just very forthright in the interview, um, even about her own flaws. Uh, and so uh, I think she felt that it was very fair. Is there any part of the film, of uh, the docu-series, that you battled about uh, keeping in or, or, or doing in a, in a different uh, direction that you ultimately, you know, settled, obviously, where, where you did here? But is there anything that stands out to you that you battled back and forth on? Yeah, I mean, there's some more, you know, there's some personal details that seemed... Uh, gratuitous to include, you know, and were important to not include for the sake of the kids and herself, and they didn't further the story, and that's always a debate that you have, so definitely. Well, and but I didn't it, feel like they were important for the story to include. Listen, I, I want to congratulate you not only on on this uh, this project, uh, which is absolutely terrific, Kill Us Sally, uh, is is the name, and it's upon us on Netflix. Everyone must watch this, uh, for sure. But uh, the the body of work that you've put together is just tremendous. Not only the 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 amount and the and the the quantity, but the quality within that body is just terrific, Nanette. And uh, congratulations on all of that. Uh, what else should we know before we let you go? And uh, before you leave us, uh, make sure we get your social um, uh, media sites and uh, and your uh, website. Anything that we uh, we should know to follow along with what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Actually, I don't. Um, I only have private social media. <laughs> right. You don't want to hear from us. Don't worry. Promotion, <laughs> yeah. but um, uh, yeah, no. I mean, the series it 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 starts today on Netflix globally. You can binge all three episodes. Um, and if you're a fan of true crime, uh, I think this is definitely something that will appeal to you. Just great work, and congratulations once again. Uh, Nanette, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Nanette Burstein, everyone, has uh, been our very special guest. And, uh, yeah, she's right on, on the true crime. And, uh, you know, this is a good story. Ray McNeil was a professional bodybuilder. And uh, his wife was uh, Sally McNeil, an amateur, as she said. And, and uh, he, was, uh, he was choking her in a, uh, a domestic violence attack. And, and she grabbed a gun and, and fatally shot him twice. And uh, as she said, you know, there's, there's a lot of twists and turns here. It's interesting that she said she wasn't the perfect victim. And that's, you know, that that says a lot about where uh, where she's going and with the uh, with the film. And I, I appreciate that because, I mean, you could you can fall in love with a subject. And what I mean by that is you could you, you know, you could take a position and take a stand and say, well, Sally's, uh, you know, Sally's been, um, you know, railroaded or, or Sally's uh, got a, a bum rap. And, and here we go. We're going to we're going to cure that. In this film, and and she didn't do it in the docu series. You can tell she didn't. I haven't seen it yet, but you can tell by how she's uh, answering all of this. So uh, kudos to her. Um, she's uh, she's received so many accolades over the years for her 
her documentaries and On the Ropes, uh, she got an Oscar uh, nomination for Best Documentary for that. And uh, Hillary, um, about Hillary Clinton, uh, she, she received uh, several awards, including a Critics' Choice Award, also uh, Emmy nomination for that. Um, yeah, I mean, she's uh, done an amazing uh, amount of work, uh, directed a five-part documentary with Quincy Jones, uh, Say It Loud, Black Music in America, and that one I saw, it was terrific, and I, she's she's terrific, terrific at what she does, and Nanette Burstein has been our very special guest. Check out Killer Sally, it's on Netflix, it's upon us as we speak, and uh, let's look. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.